0: Hello and welcome to the Healthy Habits, Happy Homes podcast hosted by the
1: Guelph Family Health Study. If you're interested in the most recent research and helpful tips for a healthy, balanced living for you and your family, then this podcast is for you. In each episode, we'll bring you topics that are important to your growing family and guests who will share
0: their expertise and experience with you. Our quick tips will help your family build healthy habits for a happy home. Welcome back to the Healthy Habits, Happy Homes podcast. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Lisa. And uh, we are very excited to welcome Elizabeth McFadden to our podcast today. Uh, Elizabeth is a registered speech and language pathologist in Calgary who specializes in and works with young children. Elizabeth is also an active hiker who has successfully summited Mount Kilimanjaro and an expert at fishing, catching her own salmon and halibut every year. So we are excited to have you. Thanks for joining us, Elizabeth. Thanks very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So um, I wonder maybe if you could just start by telling us what is a speech and language pathologist? Sure. So a speech pathologist
2: is someone who uh, works with anyone who has any sort of difficulty with uh, communicating or understanding and using language. Um, so we can work across the lifespan. So we can work with very young toddlers, um, it's co- people commonly think of us as working with school-aged children, but we also can also work with adults and seniors as well. So really anytime anyone has any difficulty with uh, communicating and interacting with people in their day-to-day life, that's something that we can support.
1: Great, thank you for that. Um, and Elizabeth, can you tell us a bit more about your role as a speech and language pathologist and your like, experience and expertise?
2: Yeah, so I work uh, primarily in early intervention. So I work with children who are about age three to five. And I've been doing that for about nine and a half years now. I work in a preschool setting, um, so in the the classroom, um, and we provide support directly in the classroom. So that involves working with the child in the classroom, collaborating with teachers to provide them with strategies that they can use, perhaps when we're not there in the classroom. And also um, we work with parents as well to be able to give them the tools and strategies to support their child's uh, communication at home. So that way the child's really supported in all their daily environments.
0: That's really great. It's really great that the child has a chance to kind of get supported through all of the adults that they're kind of interacting with. So from the teachers to the parents.
2: Exactly. And, and it's really a team effort. Um, as speech pathologists, we can't be with the child obviously all the time. So, you know, it's a big role of ours is also training the people and coaching the people that are in the child's daily life so that they can uh, be those facilitators to help support their uh, communication development.
0: Absolutely. I um, was Curious as to maybe some common concerns that you hear from parents or maybe even some common uh, concerns that you see among children.
2: Yeah, so oftentimes when parents come to see us, um, you know, they might have concerns regarding how their child says certain sounds or they might comment that their child is hard to understand or gets frustrated when they're communicating. So that's looking at their speech sounds. Parents might also um, report that their child has trouble following directions or listening, or even things like answering questions and telling stories um, and, and talking about their day. So using language to interact. Um, I would say those are the three most common areas that are of concern that I see um, in the early intervention.
0: Actually, uh, you we, just before we- we started recording the podcast you had you had mentioned uh sounds versus or speech versus language yeah tell me what the difference is between those two sure yeah so in terms of speech
2: sounds we're looking at their pronunciation skills so how they say the sounds in English so a common one sometimes is uh parents kids might have trouble with k and g's so instead of saying key, they say T. So it's how they make the sounds in the language. And then we also or when they're speaking and then we also support their language skills so that would include their receptive language skills their understanding so um, their understanding of concepts and words and spoken language and are they able to take that information and follow directions or answer questions and then we also look at um, and support expressive language skills so that includes things like a child's vocabulary and how they use those words to build sentences their grammar skills, so that they can have grammatically complete sentences, and then how they use that language to interact. So can they communicate their wants and needs and ask for help or tell stories and things like that?
1: That's interesting. interesting. Yes. Thank yeah. you for explaining that. Um, so when you see a family for a child's uh, speech assessment, I'm not sure if that's what you call it, but are there certain things in speech and language that you're looking for in your assessment? So, speech and language develops
2: over a continuum, so there are developmental norms that we're we're looking at. We're looking to see where that child falls on the scale of, in terms of meeting those. Those developmental norms. So, in terms of speech, we would be looking at the types of errors that they're making and the number of errors, and how that's impacting their ability to be understood when they are speaking. Um, and that helps us to determine the type of delay that they're having. We also look at. Um, how clearly they're able to communicate their thoughts. Um, Are they getting frustrated at all? Are they willing to and able to clarify their thoughts when, when they're not? And then in terms of speech sounds, we might also look at um, how the child is able to say the sound with some coaching. So if we give them some models and strategies, are they able to imitate the sound um, and say it correctly? Uh, So that would be looking at the speech and then it would be a different type of assessment for a, for concerns related to language. So that would be, again, looking at their understanding of concept words and how they're using that
0: language to interact with us. Thanks for that. Now, I know uh, personally, and I, and I think I've told you about uh, my, my kids before when I've reached kind of uh, not knowing really, a situation where I kind of like, is this a problem? Or are they yeah. developing right with their language? So as a parent, for sure, my kids have struggled in the past, especially with their Rs and, and their THs. And even now I feel like Mateo, I don't even, when he gets really excited about something, I mean, I I don't, I'm like, okay, you're speaking gibberish. You gotta slow down. So I'm wondering at what age do these speech sounds develop and and is there a normal age range? Yeah, so it's interesting actually
2: for every sound in English, there is an, an age range where we would expect sounds to develop. So there's some sounds that are earlier developing sounds. So those would be things like B's, D's, M's, like those early sounds that you might hear kids say like, ma, 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 ba, 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 those types of sounds. And then there's later developing sounds like the ones you pointed out, R and uh, TH. So really there's a continuum. If we take the example of R, we typically see that children start acquiring that sound around four years of age and look to have look to see that the child is able to make the sound at least in some context by five, and then for sure that they should have the sound by six. But we usually I, ideally would like to see that sound by five years old. So basically by the time um, children enter kindergarten. So around the time of four or five, we would like to make sure that children are able to be understood the majority of the time by, by all people that they speak to. So that includes parents and people that don't see them quite as often.
0: I'm curious because as my kids were uh, before in preschool and stuff, you'd always hear like, Oh, don't worry. Like it'll just happen. You know, they're not going to walk into university, not being able to pronounce their R's. And so I just kind of would like your, thoughts on that? Does it just happen or, or, you know, should we be, should we be concerned if we see some of those issues? Yeah. So
2: I think that um, as a speech pathologist, you know, we're trained in in speech and, and language development. And so we're big proponents on early intervention. The first years of a child's life, they're like sponges and they can make so much progress and those, uh, so many different skills are developing. And so, I would always encourage parents that if in doubt, or if they have any questions or concerns, I would always encourage them to go ahead and and make that appointment rather than, than waiting. You know, even just going, it can put your mind at ease. And the speech pathologist might say, you know what, this is age appropriate. There's no concerns. Or they might be able to give you a few simple and easy strategies that can help support the skills in developing if they're starting to come. But really, there's a wealth of, of information and research to support early intervention. So that, that would be my recommendation, I guess, to say is that um, the sooner that we can provide that support, the better, because it helps uh, minimize frustration on the part of the child. So, for example, with speech, you know, they might get frustrated if they can't say their thought clearly and that if people can't understand them or as kids start to get older unfortunately sometimes those errors might be pointed out to them um, so really being able to minimize that frustration from developing is is ideal
1: great and if parents uh, choose to consult with a speech and language pathologist is there something that in particular that parents and kids would expect to happen on their first visit
2: yeah so um, in terms of visits you know a lot it's really guided by the parent concerns so by what brought them to the appointment. So a visit would usually entail having a conversation with the the parent or the adult in that child's life and what they're concerned about. Uh, We would collect some background information as well. So we look, we wanna make sure that children's hearing has been tested um, and if there's any maybe family history of speech or language delays, those kinds of things. And then really the assessment part of it involves talking with the child, playing some games, and looking at some books so it's really like it's a a play-based approach right we it's very low pressure and it just involves interacting with the child to see how they're communicating
0: yeah that's great i remember i did take marino uh because i was concerned about his r's Mm -hmm. and he actually had a great time at the slp's office because she just kind of uh not just but she she got stories he was interested in that had a lot of r's in it yeah So I think it was run, like run, rabbit, run. And so she read, you know, he was practicing his R's as he went through that. He actually enjoyed going, to see the SLP because it was kind of a one-on-one attention, like it was like Merino time. It was attention time for him.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And it's all play-based. So we bring in games that are motivating for the child and because children do learn through play. So we want to make it fun and interactive for them and and, um, developmentally appropriate, which when you're in those younger years, it's all about playing. I find often when I go into the classroom, um, that's a common thing, Lisa, is that, uh, that all the kids are excited to see us. So everyone is wanting to come and play our special games or look at our books.
0: So we, yeah, we try and make it fun. That's great. Uh, so if some parents are listening at home and they want to practice uh, some of those common sounds um, like the R's and the TH's, or, or and you would know if there's other common sounds I, I'm not mentioning. I, I mentioned the R's and the TH's because I think those are the ones that affected my children. So those are really the only ones I I know as being relatively common. But if there's others, what are some suggestions you have? Practice those sounds with kids.
2: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that parents can do is model the sounds for the child so and emphasize them so that the child is hearing the, the correct pronunciation. And uh, that's always that first step. Um, so that can include just modeling it when you're speaking to them or if the child says something to you and the sound is said incorrectly, you can repeat back what they say while emphasizing the correct sound, reading like you like you mentioned, Lisa, books. So reading books is a great way to to model those sounds again and to expose them to those sounds. So finding books that have that sound, the sound that they're having trouble with, occurring frequently. In terms of, of specific practicing for the sound, that's something that I would usually recommend that parents uh, wait on until. Um, they're able to see a speech pathologist who can give them specific strategies for each sound. There's different ways of teaching different sounds, and it's, so it's, can somewhat be child specific. And also, I often like to say to parents, you know, let us do that hard work of teaching the child the sound, so that they can be successful when they're practicing at home, because we really don't want that frustration to build between the parent and the child if you're trying to practice at home and it's just not going well and they're not able to get that sound correctly. So I would usually encourage parents to, to chat with a speech pathologist first to help um, get that sound established before they practice at home. But certainly once the child is able to say the sound, you know, there's lots of different games that you can play. The speech pathologist would give you some, some specific words to practice and some different activities so that it can be incorporated into your everyday life.
1: And I'm curious, Elizabeth, as to the impact of COVID-19 on your role um, right now, you said you're working in a preschool. So um, how has COVID-19 affected your job and are speech pathologists still available to parents who might be seeking appointments or consultation?
2: Yeah, I think it, like for everyone, it certainly has had an impact. Um, I think that the types of services that are available certainly differ by region based on the, the COVID situation in, in each area. One fantastic thing is that we've been able to rely on teletherapy quite a bit. So we're able to, with things like Zoom and and all those o- online apps, we've been able to still connect with families um, by providing online support for myself personally we are still working in the classroom you know there's things that are impacting us like wearing masks and so that can sometimes present some challenges when teaching speech sounds when a child might not be able to uh, see your 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 face and your mouth but you know we find ways to work around that and so speech services are certainly still available and we're working with schools and families to accommodate uh, the situation in each area,
0: I would say. Great. Thanks, Elizabeth. And I'm wondering if you have three take-home points or thoughts for listeners. Yeah. So I think the the
2: first thing I would say is really uh, to highlight the importance of early intervention, early intervention being key. So, you know, if parents are in doubt, or if they are, have any sort of worry, or even just question, like, you know, if you're not sure if this is something that you should be concerned about or not, I would always encourage parents to start that process by contacting a speech pathologist. Sometimes, you know, there can be wait lists, depending on the areas that you live in. So, you you know it, it, you might not necessarily get to see a speech pathologist right away but at least in starting that process um, is something that i would recommend like i mentioned before there's a lot of research to support early intervention and the goal is really to help children be the most successful communicators they can be and to get them ready for classroom learning and to be able to have them be confident and comfortable communicators with everybody in their life. So that would be I think the, the biggest thing um, that I would recommend. And then I think the second thing I would say that is that if parents do access a speech pathologist and there are some areas like you gave the example of the R where you know the child might benefit from some support and practice with it. I think the second thing I would highlight is just that importance of practice. So change can't happen without practice just like for anything right even with adults i always joke you know if i go to physiotherapy my injury is not going to get better unless i do the exercises and so it's the same thing with with speech sounds you know it's that consistent uh practice that is going to really affect change within the child's pronunciation skills Unfortunately, as I mentioned, with speech pathologists, we can't work with the child every day. So it really is a team effort of um, having parents as our partners, and you know, helping parents to have the tools and strategies so that they feel comfortable and confident in supporting the child at home, so that that short pra- uh, daily practice can can happen. I, we find that the the biggest especially with speech sounds the most progress happens when you can have that short consistent practice versus you know occasional longer practice times so yeah and you know that practice partner certainly life gets busy for parents as well so you know a practice partner could be any supportive adult in a child's environment just someone that is there to be able to work with them and then the third thing I think would be you know we're here to support families and the children so you know any questions are always welcomed. And, you know, if parents are needing new strategies or ideas, we're always there to, to provide that support and to help make it feasible to implement those strategies in their everyday life. So, you know, there's just li- sometimes little things that can be done that really help affect change
0: for the child. That's really, I think that's, those are really great tips, Elizabeth. And I remember after I brought my Marino to the SLP. He he. It took some practice at home for sure. We just did short stints, like five five seven minutes. Exactly. Uh, But he was once he got a hold of that R, he felt more confident in speaking. I think, and also less frustrated because we never had to ask him to repeat it again, and that made a world of difference. I think, for
2: him. Yeah, and exactly. And it helps to decrease the frustration for everyone, right? The frustration for the child who really knows what he or she wants to be saying, but just um, is getting frustrated, like you said, because other people aren't understanding them. But then also frustration on the part of the adults in the child's life and not being able to understand, right? Because certainly everyone wants to be able to understand kids. So that yeah, that it's wonderful to be able to see that progress and that success. And then it decreases the frustration for, for everybody.
0: Oh, for sure. And it actually didn't take, I mean, maybe two visits three in in Marino's case, because he he was so close apparently, but uh, two or three visits. And then it was just a matter of being consistent at home with the, with the practicing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that some of these things are just really, you know, you, you, you might not need to see the speech pathologist for a long time. And so that's why, yeah, getting in to have that visit just to check out where things are at is always something
0: that we would always encourage parents to do. I do have to say, though, when it comes to practicing, some days went smoother than
2: others. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And, And the thing is that life gets busy, right? So also, you know, we don't want parents or adults in the child's life to be hard on themselves either. Like we totally understand if practice doesn't happen every single day. And that's why you know it's great to be able to partner with parents and collaborate with them because we can tailor recommendations and strategies to work for each family, right? Because what's gonna work for one child and family isn't necessarily gonna maybe work for the other child and family. So just finding different ways to incorporate practice into their everyday life is what our, our goal is.
1: Thank you, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and to switch to maybe a lighter note, I thought we could end off the podcast to, by asking you to share your best memory from hiking Mount Kilimanjaro, if you don't mind.
2: Sure. it's hard. There are, there's are so many great memories. Um, I would say getting to the sign at the summit for sure. I mean, maybe that's like a, an assumed thing, but that that last day of hiking was pretty challenging and uh, I think it took it was eight hours on the last day that lack of oxygen is no joke so I think just that relief when you could see the sign and and we got to it that was definitely a highlight after you know several months of training to get ready to go and I'd say the other highlight was um, I went with my family so it was really nice to be able to spend that time with with my family and have, you know, 10 days of distraction free, like when no one had access to their cell phones or Instagram or text messages. So it was uh, really nice to spend that quality time with with my family
1: love that as a family focused podcast we definitely appreciate that and i feel like your first memory of um making it to the top of the mountain is just like a million metaphors tied up in one experience like you could make so many metaphors from that so thank you for sharing and uh, thank you for joining us today on the healthy habits happy homes podcast we really appreciate you joining us and sharing all your expertise about speech and language pathology we really appreciate your time
2: thanks so much for having me